This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. House Democrats' top priority is passing in their chamber this week after several days of debate is H.R. 1. Kate Ackley uh, has been on top of covering H.R. 1 and what has gone into it before when it was in committee and so forth. And we're going to talk about why it's so important to Democrats and also why Republicans seem so animated in their opposition to it. Kate, welcome to Political Theater. Thanks for having me. Kate, this is a 622-page bill. There's a lot to it. Uh, that's why it's taking so long to amend and to consider what exactly, what's the, the nut of it? Uh, what, what would this uh, epic H.R. 1 bill do? Well, there are several parts of it. There's a big part that's campaign finance. The headline for the campaign finance part is that it would establish a new public matching system, basically for small donor for small donations. So, uh, a six to one public match for donations, uh, two hundred dollars and you know under two hundred dollars. But people who opted in, this is an optional system. Candidates who opted into this would also have to forego donations over a thousand dollars. And right now, the individual limit is twenty eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So you'd be cutting yourself off um, from bigger donations, but you'd get this public financing match. It would also remake the Federal Election Commission, which regulates federal elections. Mm-hmm. Many people they haven't been doing a whole right, lot lately. Right. Many people <laughs> they believe have several this, vacancies. This, <laughs> it's a like that it's a broken right. institution. It's right. it, not everyone agrees with that. There are some Republicans that feel like it's just fine. It's just fine. Uh, it's a six member body. It's down to four. Um, so and, it, you know, it's been deadlocked. It's supposed to be three Democrats, three Republicans, and they've deadlocked um, in the past. And what this would do is transform it to a five-member panel and give the chairperson greater authority to bring enforcement action, basically empower the FEC to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's on the campaign finance. There's also a whole bunch on ethics and lobbying. So uh, presidents, as we've all learned, don't have to uh, disclose their tax returns. This would require that for presidents and vice presidential candidates. It would also uh, impose new ethical requirements on executive branch officials, including presidents. Um, there are some revolving door restrictions, so people who go into the lobbying world uh, wouldn't be able to do as much of the sort of behind-the-scenes advising that they all get away with now. I sort of call that unlobbying. You mm-hmm. know, it's this unregistered. I believe you lobbying. coined that term, Kate. I, I may I, I'm, have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, you're, you may be too modest to state that. I think that. it was a team but effort. You, but yeah, I think that came up with you, much like our former colleague Eliza Carney. Uh, came up with the with the term super PAC. It's it, uh, it's possible. I've certainly gone with the term. Right. So and and then there's also a whole part on voting and elections. Um, it, you know the the part that deals with kind of restoring uh, the voting a, a piece of the Voting Rights Act has been pulled out because that's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. But there are a number of things calling for you know requiring states to implement automatic voter registration. Early voting, um, it would basically undo the state voter ID laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would supersede those. 
Um, so there are just a number of things that, that voting, this touches uh, on. V- election Day a national holiday. Yes, uh, that uh, that has been a point of contention um, for oh, we'll get Republicans. To the con- we'll get to the contentions. Part. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, yes, and there are other things that are uh, you know kind of allowing young people, sixteen and seventeen year olds, to pre-register mm-hmm. to vote. They're not supposed to vote until they're eighteen, but that they could pre-register. You know, just a whole bunch of things that deal with how our campaign finance system works, how our campaigns operate, how voting works, as well as lobbying, including foreign lobbying, more disclosures for uh, people who are foreign agents, things like that. So one of the things that I I find, you know, the question I had when I was looking at, like, they're going to spend a lot of time on this is the public, um, if if you look at public opinion polls going right back to the the midterm in, in November and stretching into the new year, people said that they cared about Healthcare. They cared about jobs. They cared about Im- the immigration system and fixing it. Whether they're Republicans or Democrats, whether it included a wall in the immigration system or, you know, or, or overhauling the whole thing. I mean, people were f- they seemed fairly consistent in what they wanted to address. Um, why would Democrats take this time and assign HR one? It's sort of symbolic. It's like it's saying like this is our big this is our biggest priority. Why would they do that instead of say trying to figure out like how to you know, get people's deductibles down on, under the Affordable Care Act and so forth. Right. Well, a number of Democrats who flipped seats, who who beat Republican incumbents in the last election cycle, ran on this messaging. And they tied it to all those issues you just mentioned. They They said that this needs to be the House's first order of business or, you know, top symbolic priority. Um, so that we can unrig the system. Mm-hmm. We, we can't. Okay. This is what they said. Uh, and this was in their ads. This was in their you know, campaign rhetoric from more moderate Democrats uh, like Abba, Abigail Spanberger, who mm-hmm. beat um, uh, Dave Bratt, Dave Bratt in Virginia, Virginia right. to obviously much more liberal, you know, new, new freshmen. Like, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Exactly. exactly. Right. So it really was right. across the, the Democratic mm-hmm. political spectrum. And basically what they said is, you know, we can't pass um, meaningful health care legislation um, if, if, you know, if lawmakers are in the pocket of big donors and pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. Um, we can't do some, we can't take a big action on, um, you know, gun control if, uh, if the gun lobby is running the place with their mm-hmm. with their donations and things like that, so they they tied it to all of these issues and said what we need to do first is is pass this huge package of legislation to restore confidence in uh, voters' democracy to make them uh, to send them a message basically that that the House under Democratic control is working for kind of the, the common voter, the ordinary person who's maybe not a big donor um, or a big CEO or what have you. This is essential to our For the People agenda. Lower health care costs, bigger paychecks by building infrastructure of America in a green, modern way for the 21st century. But the public belief that we can do that depends on our passing legislation uh, to amplify the voices of the American people and reduce the voice of dark special interest money that has influenced decisions in Congress before. I've seen a lot in, in Democratic ads, you know, Jeff Merkley announced that he was not running for president, which which actually news, a Democratic senator who's not running for president. <laughs> uh, and, and he kept on coming back in his campaign ad that, you know, like we need to make Washington work for 
um, the you know people who are not just tied into the powerful and the privileged. I realize that's on the Senate side, but it seems to you know kind of dovetail with some of this House Democratic messaging. Yes, and it's a it's a main talking point among the Democratic presidential contenders. They have all taken some type of action, uh, however symbolic. You know, all of them are declining uh, corporate political action committee donations. That's largely sim- symbolic. It's not a huge amount of money in, in these presidential races anyway. A lot of corporate PACs don't give to presidential mm-hmm. candidates in a primary. Um, but it's it's something that candidates, it's like a badge of honor. You can tout it on the, on the trail. And right. they are. Right. And uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat from Massachusetts, obviously has tried to go even uh, to you know, take a, a stronger position and say, I'm not going to hobnob with uh, big donors. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have FaceTime with them. I'm not going to do call time with them. I'm going to just talk to regular people on the campaign trail during the primary. So Democrats, I mean, in general, they, they want to clear the decks and say, like, now everybody, now it's, now it's fair. Now we're on a fair level playing field and we can talk about some of these bigger issues. Republicans, if you, if you, if you listen to what they're saying on the floor and, you're, and uh, you know, just, just the other day, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who has said he won't bring this up at all, you know, in in, in his chamber, uh, and he controls the floor, and his uh, colleagues in the minority uh, leadership, like Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy, to hear them say it, this would turn America into uh, this sort of sort of strange dystopian land where voter fraud would be rampant. This is a terrible proposal. It will not get any floor time in the Senate. But it is important to understand what they're trying to do here. And everybody's First Amendment rights would be infringed, and it would, it would just mean the end of Western civilization. Uh, yes, they have taken on a, a very strong line of attack against H.R. 1. And I think it's puzzled some people. We also saw this week a, a really intense mobilization from uh, the lobbying community, from, from K Street interests, uh, like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came after there was a meeting last week on Capitol Hill where McConnell told some of these conservative and business interests, you know, get out there. And I think that it really speaks to uh, the fact that in poll after poll, independent voters and Republican voters and Democratic voters say that the, that the political system is rigged. Yeah, that it tilts toward uh, the bigger donors, the corporate interests um, and and things like that. So I think if Republicans were to just ignore this whole effort, um, that it might leave their own voters scratching their heads and saying, well, wait a second. You, you, know, you said that the, the Washington was just the swamp. Like, why won't you drain it? Right. right. And that that's a really good point, because President Donald Trump, that at the end of his campaign uh, in, two, in 2016, this drain the swamp mantra was huge. And he has a, an enormous base of, of small donors, people who give him under two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the momentum is, even in the Republican Party. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's been interesting to watch this week. Uh, with the lobbying interests stepping up their own campaign against H.R. 1, um, you know, some of the supporters of H.R. 1, this is like exhibit one for them for why you should support it. You know, right. they're kind of You will know us by our enemies. They're saying, right, like, right. if K Street is against this, what do you need another reason to vote for it? So right. you're, you're seeing all that um, political dynamic happening. 
But I do think that if Republicans were to just ignore this completely, it'd be sort of unsatisfying for their voters. Well, well why are you against it? Why is this a bad idea? Mm-hmm. And, and also the, the president has also gotten off the sidelines, even though he knows that Mitch McConnell is not going to take this up. And he knows that the business community, which he says, you know, he's a businessman, you know, he, he's running Washington like a business. They're opposed to it. He's already uh, released a statement of administration policy saying uh, he did, he'd veto it. You know, what I mean, like so, they're they've come off the sidelines, and they're. It seems like the 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 strategy is to paint this as this is un-American because it infringes on our rights. It's about liberty. I think it's going to be fascinating to see whose argument wins out. The House is going to pass this, and then we'll get into this dynamic of the House complaining about the Senate not taking up the House uh, the House bills. And it just seems like there is a a lot. Um, it, it's it's sort of it's beginning to dominate both sides of the of the, of the aisle. I think it's going to be a very uh, important part of the discussion and debate in the 2020 campaigns, presidential, congressional. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell said uh, this week at a press conference that he believed that people who voted for this uh, could, you know, sort of be imperil, you know, imperil their reelection chances. Um, he said, you know, that Republicans can win. On, this is a winning issue. His position is a winning issue, um, electorally speaking. And yet he also says he won't bring it for a vote. So it's kind of, you know, you can't really test it out. Are there are there um, incumbent Republicans in the Senate who would like to vote on this? I haven't heard anybody stand up and say they would mm-hmm. um, and, and, and proudly take a no vote. Uh, so it, it shows that there is something brewing among uh, among voters, uh, including independents and Republicans. And, and McConnell, really, he never really says a whole lot that he doesn't have a specific reason for saying. Uh, McConnell also is on the ballot in 2020. So you would think, I mean, if he was if he would be very proud to state his opposition, he would say, like, I feel so strongly about this. I'm going to vote against it, too, uh, if he has the votes. And so we have this sort of weird disconnect. Yeah. I mean, I think if it were to be brought for a vote in the Senate, it would fail. Uh, you know, I mean, and it wouldn't get 60 votes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it may not even get 50. So I, I, I don't know. But he doesn't, he says, you know, he controls the floor, as you noted, and he's not bringing it for a vote. So that's that. Um, but I think in his, in his own campaign and it, more importantly in some of the campaigns uh, for members that are maybe more vulnerable, like, a, like a Cory Gardner mm-hmm. in Colorado, um, I think this will be a, a major messaging point because there are a lot of things in this bill that would be hard to explain why you're not for them. You know, giving, uh, you know, having presidents uh, be subject to more um, ethical, um, you Scrutiny, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's also an ethical conduct code for uh, federal judges. And, you know, there are some of the lobbying restrictions and things like that. Again, you can take some of these individual pieces and, and do campaign messaging. On. I will say also that um, House Democrats say and have already started to do this, that they're going to introduce the individual components of H.R. 1 mm-hmm. separately. And um, I don't know how much time they're going to spend on that, because I think part of it is they're going to say, well, we did H.R. 1 and, and job done. And now if you want it's up to McConnell, it, well, it's up to the voters in 2020 to mm-hmm. bring us a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. And then we can then we can really enact this thing. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um, if they send these individual pieces, some of them that might have um, bipartisan support, then it's going to be harder for the Senate to completely ignore 
them, but we'll see what happens. Returning to this thing of uh, making voting election day a holiday, uh, McConnell yesterday uh, just sort of ridiculed it and said that, uh, he, well, he had an interesting sort of position on it. If the idea here is to make it more likely we have a higher turnout, it seems to me that's happening. What affects turnout more than anything else is interest and competition. Uh, spending in races, for example, the more money that's spent in a race, the higher the turnout. The less money is spent, the lower the turnout. Isn't that the point that you wouldn't need as much, you wouldn't need to spend as much money uh, because people could take the day off like they do in several other in advanced industrialized countries and they would spend that day voting and you wouldn't have to spend as much money because they'd have the entire day. They wouldn't have to get there at like eight o'clock at night in the snow uh, and wait in line <laughs> uh, and, and, and so forth. What do Republicans say about that? I mean, what, what is, I, I, I'm wondering about the reasoning behind keeping voting, you know, like a, 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 keeping it on a Tuesday where everybody has to go to work. McConnell said yesterday or there were already a lot of federal holidays and, you know, <laughs> yes, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't really need any more. Right. Um, or you can make it on a Saturday or a Sunday or something. I don't know. It, it, it seems odd reasoning to not uh, just take, you know, to not emulate other countries that seem to do pretty good with, with this kind of situation and have a better voting. Uh, yeah, it right. would be really interesting to see, you know, in, in a, as a kind of an experiment, would the number of voters actually increase if it were a holiday or, like you said, on a weekend? Um, I will say also Republicans say, you know, most states allow early voting and some of those, you know, those include weekend times and, you know, after hours and things like that. And this bill also would require all states to do early voting and, and to be open on weekends and things like that. Well, um, even after the House uh, votes and, and it will likely pass it, uh, of course, uh, it seems like we have not heard the last of this sort of uh, messaging about this bill. So thank you for helping us uh, sort of understand a little bit more of it. And uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to continue following Kate uh, and her reporting on it because it's top notch. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, you can visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you for listening.